my nickname for many, many, many years professionally from uh, one of my managers a lifetime ago, she said to me, you are marshmallow-covered steel. And I love that. And I talk very much about that ability to be a brave leader, but a brave leader with heart. Um, so I think it's balancing the authenticity of who we are as women and being proud of that, Kim. You know, I think as a woman, when I sit at a board table or I'm the only woman, you know, on a very senior team, I am proud of what I bring to the table, of the diversity of thought, of the diversity of mind. I am in such awe and honour of my gut um, and the feeling that I get about things that gives me the wisdom um, but I'm also very conscious to make sure that I am seen to being able to deliver you know I remember I had a manager who said to me oh just because everybody likes you doesn't mean that you're good at what you do and I said to him well actually it's because everybody likes me that I'm good at what I do Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Hi guys, welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week we have a beautiful, amazing, phenomenal guest, the incredible Jeanette Allum-Hill. For those of you who don't know her, she was named the 2020 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. She is also an incredibly acclaimed international keynote speaker, and she's really passionate about transformational leadership. But what I really love is her personal story of resilience and recovery, and she really is a student of change, which is so moving and powerful. Her story totally resonates with me and I've heard it a number of times and every time I can promise you, I still get goosebumps up the back of my neck. She is really big on helping people to respond, recover and thrive and then work with different communities and groups to connect, collaborate and create. You know, right this moment, she is actually consulting into federal government, implementing the Australian public sector reforms for Prime Minister and Cabinet. But what is so extraordinary, as you hear this woman's story, you are going to be unbelievably blown away by the adversity she's been through, the challenges, and the absolute shocking trauma that she's had to endure, but also come out the other side. It's an incredible story, one of grit and grace, and she's particularly you know, revered as being a very brave leader. She is considered one of Australia's most premier and engaging, passionate and practical keynote speakers. But I'm telling you, you're going to love listening to her in a real personal way here on this amazing podcast. What I really love about this particular podcast is not only her story, but how it can relate to every single one of us and how we can actually use the things that she recommends and talks about in our own lives. She talks profoundly about how the power of leaning into joy can change lives. She wants people to live wholly and fully wholehearted. And she really believes in living courageously out loud and making sure that as you lean into joy, remember that even though it may only be fleeting, joyful moments constantly can occur in our own lives. You're going to love the way she uses quotes and analogies around other people you're going to love the way she describes what it means to be a leader with 
absolute determination, courage, and braveness. And you're going to really love the fact that this remarkable human is one of the most powerful powerhouses in Australia. I could not be more proud and honoured to interview a woman of this calibre. She is someone I truly look up to. She is someone I admire with all my heart. And I love the way she really brings people and networks and communities all together. She is one extraordinary human being. You will not want to miss this one. I sincerely hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Please do not forget to leave your feedback on the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Don't forget to go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28. You have no idea how much your five-star rating not only supports people um, that are on the show to see that their time is worthwhile, but also it helps other people find the podcast quicker and more easily. Let's face it, we can all do with the you know, reminder and encouragement for more self-love. After all, as I constantly say, I truly believe it is a platform, the foundation for everything. So please continue to support this amazing podcast. I cannot begin to tell you how much I look at every single one of your comments and feedback. I really appreciate your personal messages. You have no idea how much knowing that you right here, right now are listening to this. And from my heart to yours, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being someone that's sharing the journey with me. There is a plethora of podcasts out there. There are so many extraordinary humans and interviews and so many different topics that you can tune into. But the fact that you're right here right now with me just warms my heart like you wouldn't believe. I know you're going to love today's podcast and I sincerely hope that you get to follow Jeanette and share all her wisdom and creative ripple effect that changes your life for the better and certainly those that you love. Take care and I look forward to hearing what you think. So it gives me great pleasure. I am so excited. It's not often you get to not only introduce someone that you look up to and absolutely admire, but someone who has become a recent friend, and I'm sure those of you listening would almost, I'd love to say, almost feels like a soul-connected soul sister on another level as well. And I'm just so proud to invite you to the Self Love Podcast, beautiful Jeanette. Oh, oh my goodness, that introduction gave me goosebumps. Thank you, beautiful heart. I am the one that is honoured. Look at Mutual Admiration Society. Um, I listen to your podcast with phenomenal interest and they they really touch my soul. So I'm very honoured to share um, my story um, with your beautiful audience and yourself. So thank you for having me. Oh, what a treat. And, and, you know, for people that don't know you, they're going to be in for a huge treat. Do not leave your podcast, your ears, your walk, your drive, wherever you are, because Jeanette's story is one of those stories that, you know, your story really touches me, Jeanette, and it gives me this tingling up the back of my spine whenever I hear it, and I never tire of it. And every time you share something about yourself, it's one of those stories where I actually can take something for myself. For people who don't know you, would you mind, and I don't mind how deep or long you go, this is one of the most profound stories I've ever heard, um, would you mind sharing with us your beautiful journey into what led you to being who you are and what you are today? I would love to share. And, you know, I was thinking 
um, just before we got onto the podcast about self-love because obviously I adore your book and have devoured it probably twice now. And there's a part in it where you talk about falling in love with yourself, you know, um, what made you fall out of love with yourself in the first place and falling in love with yourself. And that really resonated with me because I think in sharing my story, and I've only just done it recently, almost been brave enough to do it when I moved to the coast, to me, that is the definition of my self-love. Um, and there's this amazing quote by Brene Brown that I just absolutely adore and have up on my wall that says, owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that you will ever do. Um, and for me, that's my self-love. Um, and to be able to share and tell my story, to do it, um, almost can do it now without tears, but it's still, it, you know, sometimes it still does. Um, I feel like that's my expression of self-love, um, to be able to own it and do something with it. So um, I was adopted um, at six weeks old. I was born to a 19-year-old um, amazing woman um, who came from a very affluent family and she um, was very disgraced because at 19 in 1970 and falling pregnant as a Cochrane steward was not what you did. Um, so they sent her away to a, a nunnery in Cape Town in Africa um, where um, she gave birth. Um, she says later when she told me about the experience, she didn't remember much about the experience. She said she felt like she was walking in a horrific days um, throughout the pregnancy. And when she woke up to the light of the morning, I was gone. Um, and, you know, she experienced her own terror um, during that. And after that process, she was sent away as a punishment and I was never spoken about again. Um, for six weeks, I was left in a... Um, uh, I suppose a place where young babies are um, and at six weeks old I was driven all the way from Cape Town to Pretoria and given to a uh, missionary family who were missionaries in Zulaland. Um, my father was a missionary and my mother was a teacher. Um, they spent a lot of time away from us, um, dad on the mission field and mum teaching. Um, so my baby brother and I, who was also adopted from another family, um, were brought up by the most amazing black nanny called Maggie. We called her Maggie Moo. Um, and until probably the age of six or seven, I actually thought she was my mother. Um, sadly, during the Soweto riots in 1976, um, a, a group of black extremists broke into our house and they raped and killed Maggie um, in front of my brother and I. Um, as a consequence of that, um, our family escaped almost overnight, leaving our home and everything. We slept um, in the church that night with our little suitcases beside us and hopped on a plane to Australia um, relatively soon afterwards. Um, as a result of, of, of that trauma and also my parents having to leave their home, any finances they had they took with them, which were very, very minimal, um, then began quite a deep life of poverty for us and consequently abuse. Um, my mother suffered a nervous breakdown because of the trauma um, and physically and mentally um, abused my brother and I throughout our childhood. Um, I was sent to a very private elite school, um, having got a, a scholarship because my parents were missionaries and as a consequence of being poor and from an incredibly religious family, um, I was very, very badly bullied and had lots of terrible experiences um, throughout my school time. Um, at the age of 30, I decided I was going to go find my family because I had been so lost about who I was and and had extreme extreme trauma as a child from pretty much every angle. I was hoping that 
you know, it would be the solution to everything. So at the age of 30 and my gorgeous husband and I moved to the UK with the sole purpose to find my birth family. Um, we did relatively quickly, which in itself, lovely Kim, is a very long story. So we'll tell you that one on another podcast. Um, but um, as a consequence of that, um, having met my birth family, um, they had had a life that I could only dream about. And with great intent and no no um, harm intended, the first meeting I had with them was spent on the floor in their magnificent, magnificent farm, um, going through all the photo albums of their incredibly beautiful and safe life. Um, I felt like I don't know, like I'd hit a brick wall and we drove all the way back from Salisbury back to Oxford where we left. And I remember not being able to breathe and saying to my husband, you just have to get on the side of the road. I just have to, I have to run. I have to, I can't breathe. I can't. And for me, looking at that life that I could have had, I hit this wall of, oh my God, imagine if I had had that life. Imagine what I would have been able to do. Imagine the things that I wouldn't have had to go through. And following that time, there was just this period that I was like, I couldn't get out of bed. What if was this thing that just resonated in my head all the time? What if I'd had that? What if I'd had that? And there was this moment, like you all know who are listening, that you just decide to either stand or fall. Um, and I had read this incredible poem that talked about if you stand, if you stood beside me in front of a fire, I would step forward and you would step back. And I thought about my life and I thought, I'm not scared of anything. I've got incredible resilience. I know how to recover. And there's this amazing quote that says, hold yourself back or heal yourself back together. And I just made a decision that I would try and heal myself back together. <laughs> and it's taken a long time. I now am a very happily married woman of 21 years with two magnificent children. I'm a very proud mama bear. Um, I've had a very, very... Um, successful career that I am deeply, deeply grateful for. Um, and I want to change the face of leadership. I want to understand resilience and recovery so that I can help others. I want to know why I stood up um, and how do we teach other people to do that. I want to stop injustice. I never want a child to feel what I feel. Um, sometimes even as a 50-year-old or as I felt as a child hiding in a cupboard or being beaten or um, whatever the circumstance was, I never want anyone to feel what I felt when I was bullied. Um, you know, I want to solve for that. I want to teach people how to respond, recover and thrive. And I want as a community for us to really collaborate and learn and share together so that we can do game-changing things for each other and for the world that we live in. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> well, you can see now, beautiful listeners, how <laughs> privileged because in amongst that where our lovely Jeanette mentioned she had a successful career, <laughs> she is actually the 2020 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year and a very well-known, internationally acclaimed, amazing speaker <laughs> and, yes, does a lot around transformational leadership. And, you know, I just... Every time I hear your story, Jeanette, every time I visualize myself in each part of that. And I've got a very interesting question for you that I'd oh. really love your insight on. Thanks you see, many years ago, I've been on a quest on looking why humans have to struggle and why we go through tough times and why there seems to be such challenge. I'm yet to meet anyone who hasn't been through some form of challenge in some way. 
And I remember being in Dharamashala in India. I'd been on a seven-day retreat at the Pulping Sherbling Monastery, and I actually got chosen to have a one-on-one with His Holiness, the 12th Kenting Taisatupa. And I was just blown away, and we were allowed to have some time. I was launching my book, um, one of my books, into India, and I took it in there to show it to him and sat with him and he held the book and he blessed the book and he said, my child, you know, you're doing good work. You must keep it up. But what is your question? And I looked at him and I said, I actually have a very big question for you. (laughs) And my question is, why do humans have to suffer? Why do we all go through different levels of suffering? And why are some people's stories so tragic and some people's are so upsetting? And, you know, we always seem to find throughout our lives there's something that pushes us to the brink. Yeah. And he looked at Manny. He, he chuckled and he went, oh, very, very good question. <laughs> but very human question. He said, my dear. In order to understand the light, one must experience the dark. Mm -hmm. In order to understand high, one must know what it feels like to be low. So you, my dear, in order Mm -hmm. to appreciate the light that you carry, one must also visit the shadow. Mm -hmm. And as I hear your story and as I listen to you and I am proudly what I'd like to consider a friend of yours. <laughs> I feel that the the shadow, the, the dark that you went through has obviously scripted for you a pathway of, of, of self-discovery in ways we may never know. Mm. But do you feel, do you agree with His Holiness that we do need to struggle? In which case, then if you're here to help solve other people to not go through that, yet we know through the struggle our mm. expansion and awareness becomes better and more and, and if we're open to it, what exactly do you mean then and do you think struggle is part of that process? Mm. I love that. What a spectacular story <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, one that I agree with wholeheartedly. I think, again, because I'm the best quote, you know, like you, quotes quotes really resonate in my soul. There's this one that I live by which really talks to what you're saying that says, marvel at your life, at the grief that has softened you, at the heartache that has wisened you, at the suffering that has strengthened you. And despite everything, you still grow. Be proud of this. And for me, the reason that I love that is that the grief has softened me. The heartache has wisened me. Um, And that going back to the story that I tell at the beginning, Kim, you know, I visualise standing in front of the fire and I visualise my two half-sisters on each side of me and and my birth mother. And I visualise the fact that, you know, because they had had a life of such you know, glorious experience and wealth and they probably hadn't, you know, really or haven't really faced any credible adversity at all. I visualised the fact that they were stepping back and I was stepping forward and I felt so deeply proud of that. And because I have seen the darkness to his holiness, amazing wisdom in that, I know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I know that Children can go through such incredibly terrible times as a child, which children should never have to go through. Um, 
and still get up and do something amazing. You look at, you know, for our listeners, um, No More Fake Smiles is a board that I sit on that I am so incredibly passionate about. And it's based on the story um, of the beautiful Annie Jones, which, you know, plays to what Kim and I are talking about more than anything in the world. She had an option to just not get out of bed and not to continue her life because of the trauma that she had been through at the hands of her stepfather at a very young age. Um, and she chose not to. She chose to stand up and know that there was light at the end of the tunnel, to know that what she had been through was for a purpose. And she now has started, you know, at the incredibly young age that she is, um, a charity that is saving other people's lives. You look at the most recent Australian of the mm -hmm. Year, the incredible Grace, who I've watched that speech three times and bawled like a two-year-old, um, you look at what she has done because of what she went through. And I don't know, Kim, whether it's, uh, you know, and being really transparent with our listeners, I don't know whether for me sometimes telling my story is almost selfish because the healing of me being able to say it out loud and understand that it helps others or there's a purpose to it or it means something actually saves my life. Um, and I think that that is an incredible point of self-love to get to the point where you understand what happened to you for whatever benefit that it will bring, you know, that grief that softens you, the heartache that wisens you, um, you know, those are the things that I think help us all um, feel great love for ourselves. Tell me how that feels for you now as a mother, looking mm. at your two beautiful children, <laughs> knowing that you had a very different upbringing to them mm -hmm. has it made you a more conscious parent do you think has it brought to you um, lessons and light in ways maybe you would never have understood had you oh, not been through what you went through absolutely and it's such a good question Kim because I was scared to be a parent um, because I hadn't I didn't know, I'd never been in a circumstance where I'd seen how to parent well. My mother was very cold and, and not very affectionate. And, and I don't know whether it's because we didn't have the same blood flowing through our veins, but I love holding and touching and feeling and speaking and living. And um, so there was so much that was opposite to me in every way. So I always felt this incredible void of love. Um, so I was worried that I didn't know how to do it properly because I hadn't had a role model and I'd been through so much trauma. Um, and I, when I held Thomas Ian Charles Allen um, after 36 hours of labour, I was like, woman, hear me roar. Like I was like, and, you know, our listeners will understand that incredible euphoria, but from that moment where that little magnificent 10-pound um, baby snuggled his little head into my shoulder, um, I felt this incredible feeling, I've, I've got this, and, and it had completely changed my parenting. If you were to ask my gorgeous husband, Jeff, he would say that I think that the solution to everything, parenting, raising puppies, friendships, you know, everything is love. So we have a very, very naughty puppy um, called Brooklyn Bear. And I keep on saying to Jeff, she just needs more love. You just got to cuddle her more. I've got to kiss her more. I've got to give her more attention and she'll be fine. And I think that's how I parent. Um, you know, so far, touch wood, it's been going well. I have 13 and 16-year-old boys who are truly magnificent human beings inside and out. Um, so you, to answer your question, Kim, I parent opposite 
to how I was parented um, and I feel this deep sense of obligation um, for them to feel safe and loved every minute of every day. Um, but what that does is mean that I'm a parent that's not very good at boundaries um, because I never want to say no because I'm like, are you okay? And I had this big learning recently when we moved to the Sunshine Coast. It really traumatised my 13-year-old and he said to me, you know, you're ruining my life and what are you doing to me? And I was speaking to my husband. I said, you know what I haven't done well as a parent, Kim, is I haven't built resilience and recovery into them. And it's what I talk about. It's what I know. It's who I am. And I'm spending my whole life teaching others how to respond, recover and thrive in their lives. And I'm not doing it to my children um, because I love them and I want to protect them. So that was a really big learning point for me. So I think I'm a parent who's learning. I think I make really big mistakes because of what I've experienced. Um, but I'm also trying really hard to to teach them the things and share with them the things that I've been through to make them human beings that want to change the world, that want to be kind, that, you know, want to be the type of leaders that I would love to work for, who are brave with heart, um, who, who would keep me safe. A little bit about, you know, the fact that people that have had traumatised childhoods and upbringings and and I do not diminish that by saying that lightly, having been through a number of things myself. Tell me how you, where did you find the love to be the loving, wholesome, rose-tinted glasses, glass <laughs> half full? Um, is, is that nature or nurture? Yeah, is that built into you? Like what do you mm. think that is that someone like you can wake up with hope and others, mm. as you've said, can go down the other path and actually mm. let it determine their their downfall. Yeah, and, and, you know, with great respect because everybody is completely different and not disrespecting in any way that sometimes, you know, it's incredibly difficult to go on. I think it's a combination of both. Um, for me, I think, you know, nature and nurture, I think when I found my birth family, um, they are very rose-covered glasses. You know, they have had great experiences. They love life. They live life to the full. Um, so I wonder if a bit of that is in me, which was very opposite to the way that I had been brought up so it's still a question that I I think about a lot and I and I really want to understand because I think it's almost key a little bit about you know why we stand why we jump off the cliff and grow our wings on the way down you know what is it that makes us that little bit different um, and I, I like you ask I um, was honoured to have lunch with um, uh, Mayor Claire Stewart from Noosa Council who is the first female mayor for Noosa and is the most phenomenal woman and I said to her um, this week, I said, what made you brave enough to, to do it, to stand up and put yourself in the public arena, which we all know is, is can be incredibly um, difficult and hard? And she said, I felt like, she said, I just, I just did it. I just, I just show up. Um, and I think there's this point in your life when you go through something that you just have to make that decision. Do I just put one step in front of the other? Um, and do I just show up? And do I just give it a go? And for me, I try and live with that attitude when I wake up, you know, when I'm facing something really incredibly difficult. I just think there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I just have to put one foot in front of the other. And for me, Kim, I've done it before and I've done it as a child and I've done it as an adult when I've stood up to bullies um, and said, you know, the behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept. 
and I've called them out. Um, and I feel bright. I feel proud of that. And and when, the more you do it, I think, listeners, the more you realise that you can actually do it. Um, so maybe it's just getting up that first time and realising that you can. Um, whether that comes from how you're brought up or how you were built, um, I think that's the secret to it. I agree. I, and I, I just say that the people that we tend to look up to and admire and just hold in this sort of unbelievable um, cloud of esteem where we just mm. we just can't but admire them other ones that do keep showing up and yeah. and sometimes when you hear the knocks you know it's easy for us to look at people that are confident and happy and sharing mm-hmm. beautiful stories easy to say and oh it's all right for them or how lucky or how beautiful they are or whatever and when they start start to share what they've been through or the the walls they've broken down or the glass they've walked over or the blood mm-hmm. they've bled when you start to hear it I think there's the element of each of us sees ourselves in that because every one of us gets through moments and some of those are really dark and some of them are way more beautiful and it really is the ebb and flow in life. So how have you transported that into your marriage, your relationship, (laughs) when it would have been so easy for you to attract someone like your dad or, you know, someone that was an abuser or something Mm -hmm. like that? How did that work for you? Um, I, it was almost like, uh, well, I was going to say that I thought about it more carefully, but I probably didn't. I went through relationships that were very similar and, and my dad wasn't physically abusive. It was my mother, um, mm. who was the abuser. And, um, and I, he just was a, a bystander, which sometimes I think is, you know, also something one shouldn't do, mm. especially in, 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 in the eyes of the children. Um, but I made some big mistakes, Kim, before I met Jeff, thinking that in order for me to feel safe, because I was abandoned as a child, I was adopted, I went through trauma, my trust issues are and were huge. Um, so, you know, for me, um, I was like, if, if I can marry tall, dark, rich and handsome, I'll be safe. Um, that was a really bad idea because tall, dark, rich and handsome did not keep me safe in any way, shape or form. Um, and, you know, and those experiences really broke me um, as I dated for a long period of time. I didn't meet Jeff till I was 30 um, and I had been through relationship after relationship thinking that, um, wealth would keep me safe um, because I had had such poverty. I'd associated with, well, if I marry into someone who can look after me, I'll be okay. But it wasn't it wasn't the tactical things of looking after me. I was looking for the wrong thing. I was looking for the house, the car, the money, the you know, um, and I should have been looking for the heart and the somebody who kept me safe, um, not from not from a you know a tactical big house car, but from a physical and emotional point of view um and I, when I met Jeff there was this incredible realization that he was the one that would keep me safe um and he he worships the ground I walk on and I am so blessed by that and he we trust each other he I know that he would never ever ever do anything to hurt me um and I often say when I speak to women on a professional basis don't underestimate the man that you marry and what he will give you to your success. And I was lucky that finally at, the, at, at 30 I had had enough huge mistakes to realise what I really needed to look for, um, and that was Jeff. And as a consequence, you know, Kim, every marriage is tough. We're very, very different human beings and it, and that is tough. Um, but his, his 
building of trust, foundation of trust in our marriage has been the one thing that has really kept our love alive because when I don't feel safe, which is, you know, you know, we all experience times no matter how long we've healed that we don't feel safe or when we face something that we're scared of, he is the place that I come home to and I feel safe. Um, and that's what I needed in a partner. And it, and it changes, right, throughout mm-hmm. time. And I love what you said, that marriage, it's something that it's you need to keep it alive in many ways. We never take it for granted. And I think that's something I love about the peer reviewers. Mm. And, and I feel very, very blessed to have a man who also cherishes what I do and mm-hmm. tells me I'm amazing when I need mm-hmm. to hear it and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think it's a lovely thing. And it's it's a compliment to yourself as well, the woman that you are to attract a man like that. And I, <laughs> I do believe that there's an element of who you are and how you respect and love yourself has a real ability to attract and uh, create a space for a person to come in that has the same values, which is why I think self-love is so important. Can you talk to me then a little bit about how you as a woman has navigated the field? You know, when I think about women, we have a very nourishing, nurturing, soft, gentle, beautiful energy and essence. Men provide, protect. They're kind of maybe a little bit more out there hunter-gathering And I'm saying this very generally, of course, but how have you navigated the corporate world and kept your femininity and yet found this brave grit and determination (laughs) that that made you Telstra Businesswoman of the Year? I think it's it's about uh, my nickname um, for many, many, many years professionally from uh, one of my managers a lifetime ago, she said to me, you are marshmallow-covered steel. Um, and and I, I love that because it's that, and I talk very much about that ability to be a brave leader but a brave leader with heart. Um, so I think it's balancing the authenticity of who we are as women and being proud of that, Kim. You know, I think as a woman when I sit at a board table or I'm the only woman, you know, on a very senior team, I am proud of what I bring to the table, of the diversity of thought, of the diversity of mind. I am in such awe and honour of my gut um, and the feeling that I get about things that gives me the wisdom. Um, But I'm also very conscious to make sure that I am seen to being able to deliver. Um, That, you know, I remember I had a manager who said to me, oh, just because everybody likes you doesn't mean that you're good at what you do. And I said to him, well, actually, it's because everybody likes me that I'm good at what I do. Um, And I believe that if you, you know, I love this, there's this great analogy about leadership where it talks about don't, you know, don't be the boat that tries to get everybody on the boat and go, come this way and I'm going to steer the boat and I'm going to be the driver and we're going to go here and we're going to deliver this and we're going to design this strategy and we're going to meet these goals and targets and fiscal um, deliverables. It says be the lighthouse and others will be drawn to you. Um, And I think as a leader, if people are drawn to people that are real, And I think if people see vulnerability in who you are and they think they know that you are brave enough to be kind and authentic, then you build a foundation of trust and then you can have those really difficult conversations and you can balance grace and grit. So I will have people come to me and say, look, this is what's really happening and I need your help, which allows me to help them to be successful. But I also have a grit that says, you know what, three strikes and you're out. 
I will give you everything that I can do to make you the best human being that you can be and help you determine your strengths and play to those. But there is a point where you have to stand up and you now have to deliver. And I will be beside you or I will be behind you, but those are my expectations. Um, so I think being your true self, authentic and real, and people can relate to you, being brave with heart, but balancing the grace of the person that you are with a grit that allows you to have strength and deliver what you need to deliver and be brave enough to speak up um, is, is a good combination of a leader. And, you know, you could, you could easily place those beautiful things into parenting, into friendship, mm -hmm. into relationship. <laughs> you know, in any role that we play, if we're authentic and real, if we're brave with heart, we have grace and grit and we speak up. Those are all qualities of being human. Yes. Um, and and maybe uh, it's a little bit more needing to be practised in the boardroom mm -hmm. and in the corporate world because this might feel a bit more natural to us in our everyday life. Yeah, I love uh, that. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because I think it's it's a real human experience that we can be this. I don't know about you, but I hear many people say, oh, that's who I am at work. This is who I am at school. Mm, yes. Give me your thoughts on that because I mm. really, I'm really curious as to why people say that because what you see of me at work and what I am, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just, I can't be someone different to who yeah. I am at work or at home. What's your thoughts? And I love that. That is such a powerful question. And I think it's come for me with time and age. And my, my thought process around why people do that is I think if you're different in your home life than you are in your professional life, you're protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. I think, and I was very much like that early on in my career because I like to laugh out loud. It's who I am. I like to be warm. I like to make people feel safe. I like to build a foundation of trust. I like to be authentic in what I'm thinking and brainstorm it. Um, and for the first couple of years, as I started to sort of rise through the ranks, I was I was afraid to be that. So I was protecting myself, which meant that I was a different person at work than I was at home because I just wanted to protect my vulnerability in case someone would say, oh, that person can't be a leader of people. That, you know, award person can't deliver a budget. Um, you know, thinking that you, you had to be a different person. But I think what we're really, really blessed with nowadays is that we have people who are leaders who are showing and leading and doing both. So, you know, incredible Prime Minister Jacinta in New Zealand, she, she epitomises the ability to be who she truly is in a workplace. And, yes, she's a Prime Minister, but in a workplace, um, as she is as a mother when she's with her, her beautiful husband and her baby and, and she's just real and and I think if we start to feel like we don't have to protect ourselves and be something else, um, then the more we do it and the more we elevate leaders that are like that, the more likely others will follow and, and be able to show who they authentically are and not be afraid and having to protect themselves from those who will attack them for bringing their best selves mm. um, to a work environment. But I think the secret, Kim, is... Um, very early on in Microsoft, they um, 
trained me in what you call strengths. Um, and for anyone who's listening, I highly recommend going and looking at Gallup's work on strength finders and leading with your strengths. So very early on in my career, I'm very comfortable on who I am and what I bring and what those great strengths bring to a boardroom or what those great strengths bring to an executive table. So I play with those and live those and they are who I am. So I don't have to pretend to be anything that I'm not. I just know how to use my strengths in a work environment and how to use them in a personal environment. And they might be different, um, but they're still both me. I love that. and I really appreciate it because if we have a look at your biography and we actually look at the work that you've done, how on earth have you trans transported yourself from where you were to where you are. Could you explain to us how your journey and your career has taken you and then how and what it meant to you to win the 2020 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year? Oh, wow. Whenever you say 2020 Businesswoman of the Year, I go, who, me? <laughs> um, and I remember when she called and it was one of those moments where um, I had recently, just before I won the award, made a really big choice based on my values and again one of my favorite Benet Brown quotes about the definition of what integrity is where she says you know basically the definition of integrity is living your values but rather than simply professing them <laughs> and I had hit this moment in life where you know I'd been on the stage into International Women's Day and I'd said the behavior walk past is the behavior you accept and great power comes great and all these beautiful quotes what I which I love and I faced this situation where I was where I was not living by those quotes and I think I wasn't living by my integrity. And um, and I had to stand up and do that and it was an incredibly difficult professional experience for me um, and I had made that decision and I was saying to the universe, you know, I've done this now and, I, you know, I've done the wrong thing and I, and I was really struggling in myself and having a really terrible time. And over that weekend before I won the Telstra Business Women's Award, um, I had made the decision um, to, to live with integrity. And on the Monday morning, Telstra rang me and said, you have won the Telstra Business Woman of the Year. And I said to her, oh, are you sure? Uh -huh. And she was like, yes, I'm sure. And, and I said to her, look, in all seriousness, and again with tears streaming down my face, I said, why? Why me? The calibre of women that I was up against, police commissioners, women who, you know, fire and rescue, and women who I bow down to for what they do for their careers and how amazing they are. I actually didn't get it, Kim. I honestly thought, look, somebody's made some universal mistake. Um, and she said to me, you know, it's because when we interviewed you, your authenticity, your the way that you were able to tell your story, the passion of which you lead your balance of grace and grit the how you are trying to lead with your true self and build trust and keep an environment where people can be their best selves where they can play to their strengths where they can do their soul work where they can feel like you are trustworthy as a leader those are the leaders that we need into the future and that's why we're going to give you the stage as being the Telstra businesswoman of the year um, because of those things and you know, not only was it the biggest honour, but it was the biggest, um, I suppose, tick for the decision that I had just made to stand up and live my integrity. Um, but it also almost, I suppose, validated every choice that I had made in my career 
to do the right thing, um, to be the leader that I always wanted to follow, um, to make the choices that might have been difficult or say the things that were difficult to say, to hold others to account, um, to allow people to come to work every day and feel safe and be their best selves and do their best work. Um, so it was the validation for me winning that award on so many levels of the choices that I'd made, but also, you know, the life that I have led. Oh, and it's just so beautiful because now, tell us what you're doing nowadays <laughs> in regards since even winning this award. Well, again, after winning the award, I um, I w- went back and um, worked in Prime Minister and Cabinet um, doing the Australian public sector reforms with the amazing Phil Gajans, who is the, um, the Secretary of Prime Minister and Cabinet. I worked for him in Treasury, New South Wales Treasury and he went on to be um, Scott Morrison's Chief of Staff and he's one of my favourite leaders on the planet. I think the Financial Times called him the greatest financial mind of our times. Um, and he is a beautiful, beautiful leader. Um, he is a leader who leads with grace and grit and integrity um, and is an absolute delight to be around and to follow and to be a part of his department. Um, so um, COVID then hit um, and all that amazing work stopped, which again, you know, one of those breaking points for you in your career where you think, well, what am I going to do? You know, I can't travel. I can't do the job that I've just been hired to do. Um, and then post-COVID, um, Boston Consulting Group um, rang up and um, we are currently working back in federal in the amazing Um, Department of Education and Skills, actually working on trying to decrease the unemployment rate, particularly focusing on the disadvantaged and um, the unemployed and the youth. Um, So getting to do some amazing hard work, which is driven by the Australian public sector reforms for Prime Minister and Cabinet. Um, So I get to work with incredible people who are changing people's lives, you know, not only from a policy and government perspective, but, you know, really trying to look at what we can do to increase employment post-COVID. It's mm, amazing and what an honour for them to have you a part of that and I'm sure you bring it huge balance and huge insight and amazing heart which is really in that sector something that is is very much required. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you then, you mentioned the word COVID, it's been a massive year. The, one of the, mm-hmm. There's a couple of words that I've heard repeated over and over this last year One of them is unprecedented, Mm -hmm. and I hear it all the time that we are in unprecedented times, and I think we can all safely say this is probably the first time in all of our lives where the whole world is affected and involved. And the other word I hear often, particularly from a business perspective, is the word pivot. Mm. Can you tell me your view of this past year, um, I know a lot of people have struggled and it's been incredibly challenging and it's brought up a lot of things. And there's a lot of people who have flourished, as we know, in downtimes, a lot of people, you know, a lot of wealthy people can be found or a lot of opportunity comes because people are looking at, at opportunities through mm-hmm. times of challenge. I would love you to answer this from a more spiritual place mm-hmm. where you have felt and what you think COVID has done to us as humans. Um, is it is it a, a mask, excuse the pun, for what's <laughs> really mattering and deep to us as humans around connection and when you compare mm-hmm. that to the isolation and when we, you know, I mean, I, I had new words 
instead of um, self-isolation, I called it self-inquiry. Instead of social, social distancing, I called it social respect. So I just had a slightly different time, you know, lens of it. But mm. I'd really love to hear your thoughts of what you think it's done with humanity, for humanity. Are we through it? What do you think has been the greatest things and maybe the worst things that have come out mm. of COVID? Mm. And, you know, and you're right, you know, all you were hearing during COVID was pivot or flourish or, and, and during COVID, you know, because I, I lost my role at Prime Minister and Cabinet, um, which I really struggled with. My husband's company went into receivership. Um, so, you know, there was moments that we were like, oh, my goodness, you know, what is this about? And, and I remember sitting down and I talk a lot about respond, recovering and thriving and I sat for this moment as I thought, wow, I don't have a job. My husband doesn't have a job. Um, you know, what are we, what are we going to do? Um, and I sort of sat down and almost applied my own framework to, okay, how am I going to respond to this? You know, and that I always think in respond, it's life is that, you know, like everything in life, it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond that counts. And I thought about, um, I just picked up, um, Cheryl Sandberg's book again, Plan B, which she had written after her husband had died and I just opened up a page and in the page um, there was this quote that said you, you're not born with a fixed amount of resilience like a muscle you build it up you draw on it when you need it you know in that process you figure out who you really are and what you might become is the best version of yourself and I thought everything in this moment of COVID Kim is how I respond to it and what I actually do with it. Um, but I think then, you know, people expect, oh, okay, let's just start, you know, running around and, and flourishing from it. And some people did because they were able to, excuse it, pivot their business to it. Um, but for me, it was about figuring out how am I going to respond from it? And then to your self-love love point, how am I going to recover from how I now feel about this and taking time to allow myself to heal and try to look around me and say, right, what's important in this moment of time? What's important is that my children are home and I get to sit with them and be with them and school them and get to be united again as a family. You know, what's important to me is spending time sleeping in and reading a book and not feeling like I have to race around and be all things to all people because I can't, I can't go anywhere. So in my sort of recovering, I took this moment where I I said to myself, let yourself rest, let yourself rest. And I'd say to myself over and over again, don't try and solve this, let yourself rest. And I allowed myself to rest. And in that resting, my mind, because I don't allow myself to rest, Kim, and I think, you know, our listeners will, will agree with, you know, there is so much going on in this busy world that COVID almost stopped us and forced us to let ourselves rest. And in that time, I be my mind began to thrive, you know, and as a consequence outside of COVID now, I'm like, right, I want to do this and I want to do that and let's do this and let's get this together and let's solve this problem and let's think about how we support this. Um, and I wrote pages and pages and pages of things that innovatively I hadn't had the chance to do before. And I wonder if it's the world teaching us to do that, to think about how do you respond to unprecedented times? How do you 
allow yourself that moment to recover from the shock of it um, and look at what you can do in that recovery time that heals you, that gives back to you. And then what you can you do to almost take that and turn that into something that's positive and allow it to help you thrive. And for me, COVID was a gift, Kim. It was a gift for all those things that it helped me do. Um, and I think it was the universe's way of, and I can only talk for myself, but the universe's way of saying to me, Jeanette, just stop, just stop. And think about at this very important time in your life, what you can do to make a difference and really focus on that. And the biggest thing for me now as we come out of COVID and all the busyness starts and the, the demands on our lives start and I don't see my children as much as I would love to and I'm still racing around like a lunatic trying to be all things to all people, I remind myself of that moment when COVID hit and we didn't have jobs and we couldn't go anywhere and we were frightened and I try and remind myself of the good that came from that. It's beautiful and I think it's... It's been quite an interesting time and it's because of COVID that I got to meet you, you know. Mm-hmm. Our beautiful Heidi decided she needed connection and brought a group of women together for our Pajama Summit. She called it the Pajama Summit, which I just really loved. And mm-hmm. I never knew what I was heading to and there was about 25, 30 of us, all strangers really. We may have seen each other at different business events or heard of each other, but to come to again together for three nights and and share stories and love and connection and and now you've just we've just had the second pajama summit which mm-hmm. I just think here on the coast was such a, a needed thing and as Heidi said she did it because she wanted the connection and mm-hmm. I just admire women who when you want something and men of course mm-hmm. but when you want something you put it out there and mm-hmm. and it comes and I just you are the epitome of that to me and <laughs> your gentleness but incredible courage and strength is something that I really really look up to and very much admire and you know I know from a business perspective you're very high up you've done work that many of us could only ever dream of you're very well revered and acknowledged obviously I want you now to think about the mum at home the (laughs) woman who's you know maybe not even a mum yet who's listening to this and I'd love you to talk to her and um, any of the beautiful men listening to this that maybe they're a little lost or maybe they're just, you know, they're not quite sure or maybe they, don't, they might listen to someone like you and go, oh, wow, I could never be that or do that. You know, we have this self-doubt creep in or, mm-hmm. you know, we're in places of not being sure of what to do or who we are. What are some of your rituals and your advice around, you know, the everyday and the continuation of who we are and how we evolve and grow? I love that. And there are almost two answers to that. You know, my immediate answer, which is not practical, but I will, beautiful um, mothers or aspiring mothers at home, talk about what the practical part is. Um, But for me, um, how you do it is, as Benet Brown says, you lean into joy. Um, So she has this amazing definition that says people who live most fully and enjoy their lives the most are those whom she calls the wholehearted. She asserts that human beings who live wholeheartedly, oh, my God, I love that word, wholeheartedly, have a practice of courageously leaning into joy 
in spite of joy's potential fleeting nature. So I think the answer to that is every single day I lean into joy. And whether it's, you know, looking out my window and looking at my husband on his ride on mower with his bunning hats and just having a laugh that Ophi is just loving his land, or it's sitting with a, a warm cup of coffee in the window, or it's, you know, popping into my children's room and watching them sleep. I try and find in every single moment an opportunity to lean into joy. And I think that helps me live wholeheartedly. And that's a conscious choice. You know, the other day I woke up with a migraine. Um, I was tired. We have no air conditioning in the house and I am hot and I was grumpy um, and I'd had a bad night's sleep. Um, and instead of sort of waking up and being generally grumpy with the world, um, I, you know, my dogs jumped all over my face. I went and had a really cold shower and I just did one lap around, around our house and I sang my favourite song to myself. I took, you know, a headache tablet, um, and, um, and just continued into the, into the day. And I think it's, for me, it's that choice of leaning into joy. But there are some really practical things you can do. And each of them, I mean, Kim's the expert at these. So, um, you know, please refer to, to all her amazing um, books and, um, and online. Um, one of the things for me is the first thing I do in the morning is I switch on your beautiful humidifier, Kim. I have your gorgeous, gorgeous um, combination oils that sit there. Every morning I come down, I switch that on, I choose the one that I like, the beautiful combination, um, and I pop that on and it sort of permeates through my gorgeous house. And I think, you know, that helps set my intent for the day. Um, but there's really important things. You were talking about marriage. One of the things that have contributed to a good marriage for me is that we have this rule that we have we try and have date night and once every three months we go away for a weekend together and we you know sometimes we can't financially afford something fancy pantsy um you know so we go and do something like a house swap or we stay in a caravan park or we we do something or we go for a walk and we hold hands i think you have to lean into joy but set the intent about what that might look like so whatever that looks like for you be really really focused on doing those things. I try and go get a massage. I try and take time to read a book. I try and take time to walk. I try and take time to invest in my marriage. Um, for me, those are things that, you know, support me to be the best person that I can be so that I can self-love and I can give that to others. Um, I could have gone. I could have gone forever. So I just thought, oops! I'll take a breath and let poor old Kim say something. Else. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I, I take notes whenever I interview people, and I, <laughs> I just I love everything you said. And and the thing I just took really from that, which costs absolutely nothing, when you when you said lean into joy, that doesn't cost us anything. Yeah. Set an intention that doesn't cost anything, mm -hmm. and then be really focused on it. I mean, what you're telling us. It's not about spending lots of money or or having to make even lots of time. Mm -hmm. I know I set my intent every morning. I put my diffuser on. I know when mm -hmm. I put my oils on in the morning, I'm leaning into the joy of celebrating my beautiful body. Mm -hmm. And I'm really focused and intent. My word for this year, by the way, is intent, which is probably oh. why I keep looking at that. I choose a word every year and this year mm. it's intent so that everything I do, there's an intention. And even if that intention is to have no intention because some moments it's just like let it just be 
Um, if you were to to look at yourself and let's just come up from a 50,000 viewpoint. We're looking down on Jeanette's life and your timeline and we're looking at this and you're sitting there next to me and I ask you this question, what is the legacy you would love to leave? Uh, We don't know the end point, but we all know through many people, you know, in our lives that sometimes life can end very quickly and suddenly. So it's not about when you leave this planet, my darling, but what would you like to think your legacy would be? I love that question. And, you know, people always say purpose and legacy. And I think sometimes for me it evolves sometimes and there's all the practical things. You know, I want, you know, as uh, you know, as part of No More Fake Smiles, I want to save children from sexual abuse. As part of Workhaven, I want organisations to, you know, really know how to support people that are going through domestic violence. As part of Sunshine Coast Business Women's Council, I want to build a community of women that collect know how to honour each other and stop all the things that can come to divide us as women and and are a powerhouse of women that can solve problems at a, a you know a national and a global level so those are the practical things but the heartfelt answer to a legacy is I just want to be brave enough to shine you know I think you were you were going to say to me you know what what is the definition of self-worth and you know there's those practical um, definitions you know self-love is not selfish you can't truly love another until you love yourself but for me the definition of self-worth is honoring the very essence of who I am honoring how I think how I feel what I want what I'm passionate about and not being afraid to shine and follow who I am inside and be my best self and live my best life. Mm -hmm. And I want that to be my legacy. I want people to say one day, despite everything, she lived her best life. She lent into joy. She lived a whole-hearted life despite where it came from. And that's what I want to do. And by doing that, I want other women other men, anyone in horrific situations, which were far worse than my situation. And I and I honor that and, and I and I I can't understand how difficult that must be. But for that absolute moment, just take a moment to think, how can I lean into joy? How can I use this darkness that life has given me to create some sort of light? Because there will be someone else you know, who is listening to you, who is near you, who is watching you, who will be inspired by your ability to get up and put one foot in front of another. And if every single one of us does that in every single horror we face, imagine the world that we'll create. Honestly, I think right here, right now, that message is more needed and more profound than ever. It seems such a a world of dichotomies and extreme. And someone said something to me the other day. We were talking about the whole conversation around vaccination versus Mm non-vaccination. And and there's all these different, and and people are getting really passionate about what they think or don't think, whether Trump or not Trump, whether our (laughs) prime minister not prime minister. Like it's, but what someone said to me the other day, it doesn't matter which which end of the stick you're on, we've all got to remember it's still the same stick. Mm, I love that. And I really took that to heart and hearing you just say that, that to be inspired by each of us through whatever horror or fear or concern or worry that we have, 
um, I think what you're, you're alluding to from what I'm hearing is that constantly reach out, constantly lean in, constantly keep, you know, we can't sit there and let life happen to us. Mm-hmm. What I can take from you and one of the greatest lessons that I always take away from you is that you're leaning into anything means that you literally have to make that choice. You're the one that has mm-hmm. to, to, to create the opportunity or to pivot or to change or to, to look for the, the gifts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Who do you look up to? Who are people, mm-hmm. if living or dead or anyone around you, mm-hmm. who are the people that inspire you the most? Well, you know, and the answer to that is, you know, there are people, you know, Winston Churchill who said, never, never, never give up, you know, my favourite quote ever. You know, Nelson Mandela who said, you know, I had to leave um, unforgiveness behind when I walked out of those prison doors and I had to forgive um, what people had done to me. You know, they teach me lessons, never give up, forgive. You know, um, Cheryl Sandberg, Plan B, you know, how do you, pick yourself up after your husband suddenly dies and still be one of the, you know, most inspiring leaders that that, that there is over time. I worship the ground Brene Brown walks on, um, vulnerability, integrity, everything she teaches, dare to lead, you know. Um, Those things inspire me. But more practically what inspires me is I often look up and around closer to home and I, you know, you know how much I love and adore this community but there's not a day that I don't look up and I don't see women around me that inspire me you know you standing in front of that room um Kim recently came and spoke at our pajama summit after experiencing what you had just experienced in losing a beautiful beautiful young man who was very close to your family and running that funeral the day before you pulled your good big girl socks on and you came and you stood in a room full of 32 women and you were vulnerable and real and open and there was not a dry eye in that room and these are women who are powerful and successful and strong and brave and they were sobbing you know and one of them came up to me afterwards and said to me oh my god I just couldn't stop crying and I said but that's exactly the power of Kim so when we look at our community the people that I admire the most are you in that moment where you stood there and you were vulnerable and you shared and you touched 32 people's lives you know Kim McCosker who is you know miss four ingredients who is the warmest kindest most enthusiastic positive welcoming gorgeous human being on the planet Ros White who runs an IGA empire and gives back on so many levels and is just you know an advocate for our community and for people you know there are you know I look around every single day you know Mark and Gail Forbes who have started an eating facility for women with eating disorders I you know Josanna Fowler who's working with the mayor in Noosa to to try and do affordable housing you know you look up into your community and you look around and there are people around you men and women who are inspirational Um, And they inspire me every day to connect them, to help them collaborate together so together we can create something incredibly powerful. I mean, Heidi Meyer, she and I were brainstorming about what we can do to get more women into positions of power politically. And because I've had local, federal and state experience, um, 
you know, we're working together and we've gone and spoken to Claire the Mayor and um, a couple of really amazing women in that space to start to create a learning for women to say, how do we get you into positions of power so you can influence for good and not be scared? Um, you know, even thinking like that and Heidi saying, let's just do it, that's inspirational. Um, so my answer is, you know, globally there are so many inspirational leaders, but right in your backyard, at your home, in your community and more so in the Sunshine Coast, I think, than anywhere I've ever been are just these inspiring humans that be brave enough listeners to reach out and say to them tell me about you help me learn from you help me be the best person that I can be um, and look close at home for those who inspire you <laughs> if there was one final message to these beautiful listeners the podcast is called the self-love podcast what would your message be to this beautiful audience? <laughs> Again, as I look up in my office, the quote that sits right in front of me is, do not choose the lesser life. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Choose the life that is seducing your lungs, that is dripping down your chin. <laughs> It's an absolute honour. I'm covered in goosebumps. <laughs> and I just feel so privileged and honoured. I know you're about to catch a plane. And you've <laughs> given up your Sunday for this interview so that I can launch this to this amazing audience. And I know on behalf of every single listener and every single person, whether they hear this as it's launched or they're hearing this down the path, I just know this will be one that we listen to over and over your quotes inspire me. I'm such a quote person. And <laughs> everything I do is around quotes. And, you know, you mentioned us losing beautiful Henry just recently. And mm. one of the things, I don't know what to say to the parents. He's a, he's, they're good friends of ours. And he was their only child and it was a hit and run. And, you know, he's just on the cusp of his whole brand new life at 21 years of age. And, and the only thing I feel I can do each day, not only by showing up and being there for them in whatever way I can, but every day I send them a quote and a text. Mm -hmm. And they and I said to her the other day, oh, you must be so sick of hearing from me. And she said, I can't tell you. The flowers have stopped. The visitors are stopping. Mm -hmm. You know, my heart is hurting more than ever, but... You know, mm -hmm. I look forward to the quote every day and I thought, oh, it just, you know, the quotes are just as much for me as they are for anyone else. Mm -hmm. And to think that that little gesture makes such an impact. And, yeah, I'd really love you to hear this podcast and Jeanette and what she said because they just quotes seem to be able to put in your feelings in, mm -hmm. in a small number of words and just eloquently share it so that we share it in the same way. And I think that's mm -hmm. profound. Yeah, Jeanette, I, please love Jeff. I'm sure he's out there <laughs> on that gorgeous trailer uh, tractor doing his still, thing. Still out there. Still your beautiful there. puppies and your two gorgeous children. What an honour for us to have you move to the Sunshine Coast. It is There is something in the water here. It's very yes. incredible, the energy and the calibre of amazing souls. But, um, yeah, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Jeanette. You're an absolute treasure and it's a treat to have you on my personal show, The Self-Love Podcast. My pleasure, beautiful. Big hugs. Jeanette, just before we finish again, mm -hmm. is there any way if people wanted to follow you or get mm -hmm. in touch with you or be a part of your network or just even to learn from you, is there anywhere people can go? 
Yeah, um, I have a website, JeanetteAllenHill.com.au. Um, so if you just go to that website, there's a contact me, reach out. Um, you can see some of the work that I do. I'm doing some executive coaching at the moment. Um, so I'm available to do that. Um, obviously, I'm available to come and speak if you would like me to do that as well. And I'm available to have a cup of coffee and listen and, you know, do whatever it, it, it takes to help you um, learn and share the things that I have learned in my time. Mm, and what it, <laughs> you will never regret that time, I can tell you. Um, I just want to repeat it, Jeanette, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E, alum, A-L-L-O-M, hill, H-I-L-L.com.au. And I'll put that in all the show notes. But, yeah, thank you so much, sweetheart. And Pleasure, yeah, beautiful. Have, have a, a glorious Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you too, sweetie. Lots of love. Love your heart. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.